Thanks for visiting studiolighting.net. You're listening to Light Source. And welcome to episode 10 of Light Source, the official podcast of studiolighting.net. Studiolighting.net introduces photographers to studio and portrait lighting equipment and techniques. I'm Bill Crawford, publisher. And I'm Ed Hidden, exclusive photographer and image inspector with iStockphoto.com. On today's show, episode 10, we are going to talk with Joel Svedson from Roscoe Laboratories Incorporated. They are makers of materials for uh, filters and gels for lighting equipment. And uh, it's a really interesting interview, so stay tuned for that one. Um, but first, what's new in camera equipment, Bill? Yeah, we just had an article on the site, which is kind of interesting. It was, um, it was well, we had talked in a previous episode about the, the Olympus E330, and we talked about how the LCD screen could actually flip up off of the body and how that was kind of a unique thing for a DSLR. And our new news correspondent put an article up on studiolighting.net about an add-on LCD screen for your SLR viewfinder. So this thing kind of has an ang like an angled 1.9 inch LCD display that slides down over your viewfinder or your eyepiece and gives you like a, a hip level viewfinder. Kind of neat. Don't don't they make angled viewfinders though? Like optical viewfinders? I think so. Yeah, this is actually an electronic viewfinder. Um, so it take it converts an optical viewfinder to an electronic preview. Exactly. Yeah. So I can't imagine that that works good. <laughs> well, the pictures look great. You could check it out. We had a contribution by Gary Lowell, our new uh, StudioLighting.net news contributor. Yeah, so you thanks, can check Gary. out. Yeah, appreciate that. So you can check that out on uh, on StudioLighting.net and, and let us know what you think of it. Well, I downloaded and installed Adobe Lightroom <sighs> Beta 2 the other day, so I've been playing with that. Oh, I and, can't uh, wait till the PC version comes out. Yeah, well, you know what? I, I fell in love with it instantly. Now, I have to I have to let everybody know I don't I haven't used any other raw editing workflow software. So this was this was more of like an introduction for me to Camera Raw and the flexibility that you have there, but it was a really fun application. You can do an awful lot with it. I can I'm see. so anxious to see it. Yeah, I mean it was it was some of the features that just stand out in my mind were the ability to make little subgroups of images so you take a whole disk worth of of photos and you can pick out 10 or 12 that you really like, and then you can copy settings from image to image, and it just it has a loop and everything. It's really neat. It's good stuff. That sounds nice. Yeah. Well, I have been playing with iView Media Pro 3 okay. on the trial version, and I'm starting to like it. Um, on a previous show, I had said that I was trying ACDC Pro. Right. And I wasn't all that wild about it. It, it seemed very confusing I thought it, it didn't seem very intuitive mm. um, I'm liking Ivy media it seems like it's very intuitive it's a lot better for you yeah um, it seems like a lot of the features in Ivy media kind of mirror um, aperture oh yeah but it, um, it doesn't do you know the the main stuff that aperture does aperture is really for raw processing where Ivy media is more about digital asset management gotcha so it's more about you know you keyword things you you store them in the in the database or the catalog as they call it. 
Um, and then it makes your catalog searchable and stuff like that once you have it all in there. Exactly. Uh, we, we should probably wrap up because the uh, the interview is a pretty sizable one, and uh, we don't want to cut as much as we can from uh, Mr. Joel Svedson. Uh, he had some very interesting concepts to talk about of ways to use filters and gels in your photography to improve and enhance your lighting, correct your lighting. And uh, listen up at the end, some of you do-it-yourselfers out there, because he was talking about some materials that you might be interested in for some of those uh, homemade softbox tutorials. Absolutely. Okay, well, uh, with that, let's let's get into the interview. Well, in this edition of The Late Source, we are talking with Joel Svensson, uh, the photo, film, and television market manager for Roscoe Manufacturing. And thanks for coming on the show with us, Joel. My pleasure. Uh, well, you want to tell us a little bit about Roscoe and, um, and what you guys do? Sure. Uh, Roscoe actually started doing business in uh, the early 1900s, mostly supplying color filter to Broadway. Um, And uh, our product, you know, the color filters, are commonly known as gels. And that's because back in the early 1900s, we actually used to make them out of gelatin. And, you know, we'd sell them to the Broadway houses out there in New York. Uh, But then as light sources got more and more powerful, gelatin just didn't hold up as well. And we moved to plastic and uh, really, you know, we're, we're known as Roscoe Laboratories. That's our actual company name. And uh, the laboratories really comes from the fact that we, you know, once we started moving into plastics, we really started getting much more scientific to our approach of making these gels or lighting filters. Um, and, you know, a great length of the, the science really came into creating color correction filters, CTBs, CTOs, that sort of thing. Um, so much so that the uh, the Academy of Arts and Sciences out here has actually honored us with four scientific, uh, you know, the SciTech Awards. Uh, we've oh, got wow. one for our Cinegel product range. Uh, we've got one for our fog machines. Uh, we have one for a range of filters called CalColor, which I'll talk about. And, uh, and then we have a, our fourth one for our range of uh, murals. Uh, we have uh, a series of backings that we've we do for the motion picture industry where, you know, we can give you a, uh, a city skyline and printed on the front is, you know, say New York city at daytime printed on back is New York city at nighttime, light it from the back. You get nighttime, New York, light it from the front, you get daytime, New York. So, uh, those are our five, four SciTech awards. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty proud of the, the products we've created throughout the years, but, uh, you know, the, the name of our business still lies in color filters, uh, you know, for, photographic and uh you know film and television purposes so great now now you're talking about color correction but let's just make a little bit clear up front for folks that aren't familiar with filters um you say the word photographic filters and some people think oh that's the thing i screw on the end of my lens could could you make a little distinction there for our audience and explain you know absolutely yeah there are there are two kind of filters there is what you you know what I know, what I call a lens filter, a photographic filter, which is exactly what you said, what you screw onto the end of a lens. Uh, we don't get into that business at all. Uh, our our filters are strictly for the lights, you know, either for your uh, you know, your your constant lights, which you might have in a setup, or for your flash uh, your flash bulbs. So this is a way to make uh, you know uh, any light source balance. Okay. Well, why don't you tell us? how you would select a filter or what the types of filters are for color correction. Yeah, perfect. Uh, you know, uh, 
I always start off with the premise, if all of your light sources are the same, and when I say the same, meaning in Kelvin or you know the same color or whatever, if they're all balanced, if they're all the same, you actually don't need a color correction filter at all. It's whenever you start introducing mixed sources, you know, light coming in from the window with your flash, uh, with a tongue source that you might be using, or fluorescent lights above. You know, once you start cr- mixing and matching different lighting sources, that's where you really need to have uh, a different, you know, a, a way of correcting those light sources, and that's where lighting filters come in handy. Now, you're talking a little bit about Kelvin, just so that people understand. That's a measurement of what? Yeah, I, whenever I talk about Kelvin, you know, I, I make the statement of I could go into all of the physics and talk about, you know, myrid shift, talk about all these wonderful terms. <laughs> but ultimately what Kelvin measures is the relative blueness or orangeness of a light. You know, the, the bluer the light, the higher the Kelvin. The oranger the light, the lower the Kelvin. And, you know, light coming in from a window is, you know, if you if you were to read it on a, a color temperature meter, would come in at 5,500 degrees Kelvin. Whereas a tungsten light source, you know, a studio light source, would be 3,200 degrees Kelvin. What we make are filters that you can put on those light sources to make them balance. So we have CTBs, corrects to blue, which are blue filters that you could put onto that tungsten 3,200 source, that warm source, and that would raise the Kelvin temperature up to 5,500 degrees to make it look like the same color as the light that's coming in through the window. On the opposite side, we have CTOs that you could put on the window, corrects to orange, and that is actually going to lower the Kelvin temperature of that 5,500 degree source to 3,200 degrees. What that's going to do is that is going to make the light sources balance. Okay, now is that because the camera can only you know take a photo at one de- one temperature? Well, it, it depends on if we're, you know, what we're, you know, if you're shooting a, a film camera, then yes, because there are two different film stocks. You have daylight film emulsion, and you've got tungsten film emulsion. Right. So if you're shooting indoors, typically you're going to have a tungsten film emulsion, and if you're using a flash, that's usually at 5,500 degrees Kelvin. So most common, what you do then is that's where you use your camera lens filter, drop that in to make it balance, and then that would balance the flash to the uh, to the film emulsion. However, if you are using tungsten light, then your flash no longer balances to your tungsten. Your flash is 5,500 degrees, tungsten is 3,200. The tungsten matches the film, the flash does not. You need to do something to the flash to make it balance. Gotcha. I notice when I take pictures in rooms with mixed lighting, sometimes I get a, a really strange green tint. What is that all about? Um, you know, if you're in an office building um, and you're in fluorescent lighting, you know, you're shooting with a flash. The fluorescent lighting up above is what's called a cool light fluorescent, which, you know, you find out is actually 5,500 degrees Kelvin. So in that case, your fluorescents are at 5,500 degrees Kelvin. Your flash is at 5,500 degrees Kelvin. Uh, therefore, you know, you think they're balanced. However, the one thing that you don't know because your eye doesn't tell you is there is a really nasty green spike that comes out of those fluorescent lights. What you need to do is you need to take that green away. And what we did is we, you know, this is where the laboratories kind of come in handy, is we figured out exactly what that green was. And we figured out exactly what the opposite color of that green is. And anytime you put the opposite of a color together with that color, it balances it out. So in this case, we figured out what we call minus green, appropriately named, and it's a magenta filter that you can put onto your fluorescent lights, 
and it's going to pull that green out and leave and just let that 5,500 degree uh, Kelvin light source shine through. So, you know, you look at it and you think, well, I'm going to put a magenta filter on that light. It'll look quite strange. <laughs> right. uh, and it might try, but to your film and to your camera, it will actually balance out and match your flash. It'll look fine. That's great. Uh, also with fluorescent lights, we make uh, a filter called plus green. Whenever we uh, went to discover the opposite of the green that is coming out of fluorescent, in order to do that, we had to figure out what the exact green was. And we made a gel for both. We made a gel that is the exact opposite of that green, and we made a gel that is exactly that green. Uh, where that comes in really handy is, you know, you're doing uh, a shot in, say, a bus station where there are 200 fluorescent lights up in the air. Now, you're there with your flash. Uh, everything is 5,500 degrees Kelvin. Again, we don't need to worry about the Kelvin aspect of everything. But the problem is, is you have 200 very green lights up in the air. Right. It's not really realistic to get out a, a man <laughs> right. lift and gel every single one of those fluorescents. <laughs> However, it is realistic to gel your your strobes uh, okay. and that's where the plus green comes in handy because again all you want to try to do is make them balanced once they're balanced then you can either correct with a lens uh, a lens filter or you can do a, a magenta correction either in photoshop or at the lab okay. um, so you put the plus green on your fluorescent lights or sorry on your on your strobe and your your strobe or your flash then matches the the fluorescence exactly because now that your strobe or your flash is 5500 degrees just like the fluorescence and it has that ugly ugly green spike in it and then it's just a matter of dropping in a minus green lens filter or doing like I said a, a magenta correction uh, either back at the lab or in Photoshop. Okay so everything is firing at the same it's all the same color then that makes a lot of sense because it's all Exactly, and that's ultimately what lighting filters, all lighting filters, or you know, correction filters, are really there for: is to make everything as balanced as you want it to be, right. um, and then you can do overall corrections either in Photoshop or at the lab or with lens filters to correct the the whole, you know, the the whole picture, if you will. But if they're not balanced to begin with, then you end up overcorrecting one of the sources. So now, how do you suggest that people work with? balance or white balancing their let's say for instance digital cameras since that's digital cameras yeah that's a uh, you know everybody thinks I, I could put this i could put i could just push this white balance button and it'll work just fine uh the white balance button really works the same as a camera lens on a film camera you know you can uh in the case of you know working with a flash in an office you know you can you can buy a minus screen filter and that will work great on the fluorescence uh, up above. You can buy a minus green camera filter, and it will, you know, be a nice magenta filter, cancel out all the green from the fluorescence. But what it will actually do is it will make all of the light from your flash a magenta color. Um, okay. Same thing with the white balance button. You can white balance to the fluorescent light, but then what that's going to do is it's going to add the opposite color. So it's going to add a magenta color to everything that's there. But and then, unfortunately, it's going to add that magenta color to the flashlight that doesn't have the green. So it will overcorrect, essentially, the, the flash, the light coming from the flash source. So even with that handy-dandy white balance button, uh, you still need to balance the sources. We have, uh, in all of our 
correction materials, whether it be CTOs or CTVs or plus screens or minus screens, we held them available in uh, in grades or steps. So I have a I have a half CTO, I have a quarter CTO, I have a half CTV, I have a quarter CTV. And in the case of shooting digital, I almost always recommend to people to go with half corrections. Uh, we developed the full corrections for for the film market, but you know. A lot of times, the digital technology will be a little bit more sensitive to doing a correction than the film will be, um, and it's better to have the half on hand because, you know, more often than not, the half will do the trick. But if you find that the half isn't doing the trick and you really do need the full correction, two halves do indeed make a full. So you could put two halves together okay. and get a full minus green if you needed it. That's great. Or two half CTBs together to get a full CTB. That sort of thing. Now you're talking about putting these screens and filters together. Like, can you describe what one of these filters looks like, and like, what does it attach on? Does it does it fit on a speed light? Does it fit on a reflector? Does it, or what happens when you're using a softbox? Um, what we sell is we sell the raw plastic material. It's um, all of our color materials are basically a, a deep dyed polyester material. Um, it's sold in sheets that are 20 inches by 24 inches, or it's sold in rolls that are 48 inches wide and 25 feet long, which is a lot of gel. Uh, after that, you know, there are, we don't really supply many means of actually connecting it to your light. Uh, one of the more popular means is with clothespins. Um, tape oftentimes holds it fine to a lot of different sources. You know, it's made out of a very tough heat-resistant polyester, so you can get it pretty close to the source and not worry about it melting. But the trick of getting the gel to to be where you want it to be is kind of the uh, age-old problem that everybody's been fighting for years and years. So, uh, but again, clothespins and uh, and gaffer's tape are oftentimes your your best solution for that. We love this. a long way. <laughs> well, now, if you if you, if you attach a filter to your light, how does that affect your light output? Would you have to like obviously remeter with it on? You I mean, would absolutely. Every every um, every gel you put into it is uh, you know, in front of a light is obviously going to affect. You know, there's going to be a stop lossage every you know, because it's a filter. It is absorbing a certain amount of the light energy, so that's definitely going to affect. Uh, you know how you how you metered it as far as the amount of light that's hitting your source. Um, we may, we actually make uh, a wonderful brochure called Filter Facts. You can actually email me. My email address is joel at roscoe.com and I can, you know, I can either send uh, the actual brochure out to you or if you visit roscoe.com, you can download Filter Facts, uh, in PDF form. And in Filter Facts, it gives the, uh, approximate stop loss of every single filter that we make. Okay. That makes sense. So people can actually calculate it to, you know, or at least approximate exactly. what they're going to lose. That's great. They can approximate exactly how much light loss they're going to lose. So. And just for light source listeners, we will go ahead and put a link in the show notes so that you guys can get a direct link to the Roscoe site so you can check that out. Yeah, actually, I was looking around a little bit, Joel, uh, Roscoe, and your tech notes section is outstanding. There's a lot of really good information. So even though we're just maybe touching the surface a little bit here on the show, if you're really interested in filters and, and everything that Roscoe does, you can get a really you can get a lot of information there. So I'll put a link in the show notes to that. Perfect. And the filter facts, again, is you know, I like to think of it as it's almost a textbook on how to use lighting filters. And the beautiful thing about it is it's always free. Uh, the other resource that we have that is a, a very handy thing to have is our Cinegel 
the Cinegel line is the line of uh, color correction filters. That is the line of CTBs, CTOs, plus greens, all of the diffusions. And we have all of those in a swatch book, which gives you one inch by three inch pieces of every single filter that we make. And those are also available for free. Again, it's a matter of contacting us and giving us your address and we'll send them out. Great. That's great information. We also have a, a large distributor base all across the nation. We don't sell anything direct. Everything we sell, we sell through our distribution network. So uh, you can also go to our website to find your, your uh, nearest local dealer and oftentimes they have the swatch book sitting right up there on their counter for you to go in and pick up. That's great. Now, along those lines, if somebody wanted to get started in, in filters or just start to experiment with them, mm -hmm. like a survival kit or like, you know, maybe a couple that you really recommend they check out? Well, absolutely. I mean, uh, again, if you're shooting film, then you, you really want to get a few of everything. Um, if you're shooting digital, where I would, again, point you to is, you know, get some half CTBs, get some half CTOs. Uh, half plus screens, half minus screen. Start with those. And again, if you need more correction, you can always double it up. We also make uh, gel kits, which give you, you know, to, if you're looking to really just start experimenting with it, we give you, you know, we have the color correction kit, which gives you one piece of a full CTB, a CTO, a, uh, you know, halves of both, some plus screens, some minus screen. Um, and then we have the diffusion kit, which also gives you one piece of several of our more popular diffusions. Uh, those gel kits come with pieces that are 10 inches by 12 inches. And uh, it's a, a nice way to get familiar with the way that those uh, pieces of filter work. And it's a pretty inexpensive way, too. That's perfect. Now, we've talked about lighting or using filters for color correction. Looking on your site, you have some creative options as well for using for using filters. Yeah. Um, well, obviously, uh, again, going back to our roots, you know, we started off doing, you know, just basic Broadway colors. You know, your, your pretty reds, your pretty blues. And uh, those colors are still available and, you know, are really great for doing effects work. In the uh, early 90s, we created a system of gels uh, alluded to earlier called CalColor. The Cal stands for calibrated. And they work in a similar fashion as CC filters work for your camera. Again, we have them in steps, uh, and then we have them in reds, greens, and blues, and then the complementary colors, cyan, yellow, and magenta. Okay. And, and then we have them in depth. So we've got a 15 blue, a 30 blue, a 60 blue, and a 90 blue. You know, 15 being the lightest, 90 being the darkest. And we have that for all of the colors. What that allows you to do is several different things. Cal color will allow you to essentially make the color that you want. You know, if in one of our uh, standard colors, let's say one of our Broadway colors, um, we, we call those colors Roscoe Lux. If you find a, a Roscoe Lux color that you like, but boy, you know, it just has too much red. If you know your color theory, the opposite of red is cyan. And so you take this blue, maybe, let, let's say, and it's just got a little too much red energy for you. If you put a really a fine tint of cyan with that blue, the cyan will cancel out the red and give you the color that you've been looking for. Wow. Same kind of idea with just using CalColor itself. Because they are pure colors, you can actually mix and match the colors themselves to create a color. Like I, I have a, a director of photography who uses 15 green with the 30 red and 
puts those two filters together, and that's the filter he uses to light up all of his talent. Okay. Um, which I, you know, is a an interesting thing just from the fact that he uses that color. But where it's also interesting to me is that he was able to use the Cal Color system to make a color that doesn't exist anywhere else. Oh wow, <laughs> that's pretty cool. Uh, the other, you know, a couple other useful ways of using Cal Color is. You know, I had a, a director of photography who wanted everything in the background of his shot to go green. Now, me being the guy who goes out there and markets and sells gel, you know, I would have loved it if he would have bought some really big expensive lights and bought a ton of green gel and lit up the background green. That would have been fantastic. However, what he ended up doing is dropping a CC green filter into his camera. That sent everything green. And then using CalColor, used the opposite of green, magenta. So he used a 30 magenta uh, CalColor lighting filter on the light source that was lighting the talent. He wanted the talent to be normal and everything else to be in the background to be green. Oh, that's a really cool. So he lit use. the talent in uh, 30 CalColor magenta. Uh, the gentleman then went normal in uh, as far as the film was concerned, and everything else in the background was green. Wow, that's really neat. So it's a much more effective way to, to shift a whole scene to a different color. Right. It meant a, a much smaller gel sale, but at the same time, it gave me a fantastic story. So. <laughs> right. That is a great story. <laughs> <laughs> so another particularly useful way of um, color to work is blue screen, green screen work. If you if you think about what's happening in, a let's say, a green screen setup, you're going to have a green screen, and you're going to be lighting it with uh, you know, what we would call white light. Um, what the camera thinks of white light really is, let's, in oversimplified terms, is red light, green light, and blue light all combining together to form white light. Those three energies are hitting that green wall. The, the red, the green, and the blue are hitting the green wall, and just the green, in theory, is being reflected back at the camera, and conversely, the software and hardware package that's going to do your you're keying. However, what's really happening is there is some red energy and some blue energy there that are considered to be noise and actually make it a little bit more difficult to pull a key. So Cal Color Green, believe it or not, is the exact color of green screen, any green screen, really. And okay. um, if you put Cal Color Green, I recommend the 30 green in front of the light that is lighting up your green screen you'll actually get a much purer green because it's green light hitting the green wall and then the green wall is then reflecting nothing but green light back at the camera, which makes it a much easier process then to pull a key. With that also being said, uh, one of the most frequently asked questions I get here is, you know, my the subject matter standing in front of the green screen has this funny green halo. How do I take care of that? Again, the opposite of green is magenta. So if you do uh, a hair light, uh, kind of a down angle light coming down on your subject standing in front of the green screen in the 15 magenta, the the magenta color will be the exact opposite of the green. So you'll have the magenta light canceling out that green halo. That is really useful. So basically, wow. basically takes care of the halo effect that's so hard to get rid of in Photoshop. Correct. <laughs> that's great advice. That's really neat. It's basically 
that green light bouncing off the green wall is casting a green light onto the back of the person standing in front of it. So by uh, lighting up that person with a magenta light, then the magenta light and the green light kind of cancel each other out, and you end up with a, a nice sort of three-point light system set up there anyway. That's great. Now, you also offer some specialized filters. Um, ones that caught my eye on the website were the polarizer and like the UV filters. Uh huh. Yep. How would you use those? Uh, the polarizer, uh, you, works in tandem with a, a polarizing lens filter. So you have to put the, uh, you have to have both. You have to have a polarizing gel filter for your lights and a polarizing lens filter for your lens. And what you can do is you put the polarizer in front of the light that polarizes the light. The lens filter polarizes the light coming into the into the lens, and by rotating either the lens filter, but it's actually easier to rotate the uh, the lighting filter, you get what's called cross polarization, and by doing that, it will remove the glare. Uh, so if you're doing a product shot in particular, you know, of you know, say a chrome sculpture or a car with a chrome bumper or you know something that's giving you a particularly nasty glare problem. Having uh, the ability to polarize the light, which then gives you the ability to cross-polarize with your camera lens, really reduces the amount of glare you're getting. Wow. So instead you get a really sharp reflection of the light source, which is what you'd want in a product shot. Exactly. That's perfect. So what would happen if you have, um, if you just put the polarizer on your on your camera lens, but not the polarizer on, or on your light? Uh, you know, the camera polarizers still work to some degree. I mean, it's just like... Uh, you know the polarized lenses in your uh, in your sunglasses. You know polarized lenses in your sunglasses do reduce glare to some degree. However, if you ever have the opportunity to have some polarized sunglasses and a piece of my polarizing filter, and you put the polarizing filter on something that's kind of glaring uh, and rotate it, you'll notice that the glare go. You know it's, it's still kind of there when it's just your sunglasses, but boy, is it really gone once you put the polarizing filter over the glare subject and rotate it so that it's cross-polarizing with your sunglasses. That's amazing. What about diffusers? You, you sell a lot of diffusion material. What? How does that come into uh, play in a studio setting? Uh, diffusion media or, you know, diffusers, uh, has a, they have a, a lot of different names, but uh, and, the, and the different names really kind of tie into what they're made out of. But ultimately what we were trying to do is find a way to emulate what cloud cover does to the sun. You know, sun is a very harsh, bright uh, source and casts really harsh, stark shadows. However, when the clouds come in, boy, isn't that nice, soft, even lighting. Um, Especially whenever you're doing, you know, shots of people. You know, that's where diffusion is really the most necessary because people, you know, all the contours of a face, you know, wrinkles, God forbid, as you get older, uh, you know, they cast shadows on, onto, you know, the face that you, you don't want. And uh, diffusion it does three things. It disperses the beam to enlarge the apparent size, softens the shadow's edge, and it reduces the contrast between the highlight and shadow areas. So it really, you know, makes the shadow not seem as prevalent. And then depending on how much of an effect you want to have in those three areas, we've got several different diffusions to choose from. Okay. Um, we have diffusions that are very subtle and very soft, like our Spun series, which is basically, um, it's polyester, but you know it looks like fiberglass, but it isn't. It's actually spun strands of polyester. It's 
you know, everybody thinks it's going to be itchy. It's not. It's perfectly fine. But it's a, uh, it's a very subtle diffuse. Doesn't uh, reduce the contrast ratio too much. Doesn't soften the shadow's edge a whole lot, but it does a little bit. And sometimes you need just a very subtle diffuser. So that's where the Tough Spun series comes in handy. Okay. Our most popular diffusion is uh, our Opal, is what it's called. Opal Tough Frost, uh, number 3010. And that's kind of a medium, run-of-the-mill diffusion. That it, you know, it softens the shadow's edge enough, but it still leaves the shadow there. So in, in, a, in a case where you still want to have the shadow, to have the three-dimensionality of a shadow, but you don't really want the harsh line that a strobe can give you or a, a tungsten source can give you, uh, Opal comes in very handy for doing that. Sort of takes the edge off. Just just to take the edge off a shadow. Okay. Leave the shadow there, but take the edge off of it. Right. Um, if you're looking to obliterate shadows altogether, we have a lot of heavy diffusions as well. Some of our more popular heavy diffusions are our 3026, uh, which is commonly known as 216. And then there is a, a grid cloth. It's exactly as it's as stated. It's a cloth material, and it's got a grid on it. But that particular, those two materials are very heavy diffusers. They soften the light a lot, you know, soften the shadow and obliterate the shadow almost. You know, right. uh, contrast ratio using those two diffusions really knocks it down to just about nothing. You know, it's a... You you can hardly see where the shadow begins and ends with those two diffusions. Now now, how does some some of these diffusers that completely obliterate the shadow? How do they how do they affect the uh, your light output? Again, you know, anytime you put any diffuser in front of uh, a light source, it's going to diminish it. So, in filter facts, again, we give approximate stop loss to the diffusion, um, and it'll allow you to, you are going to have to recalculate and re-meter at that point. Now, if you, if you um, say you amp up the power of your lights, is that going to negate some of the diffusion effect? No, because essentially the more light that hits it, it's still going to diffuse it the same amount. You know, the best way to think of it is what a diffusion kind of does is, you know, let's say you have a I don't know if we can even use product names, but Pixar has that wonderful lamp that looks at you. Let's take a, a lamp kind of of that style, a desk lamp. And, you know, let's say it's uh, six inches in diameter. So it, with no diffusion on it, that lamp gives you a six inch in diameter sort of source to work with. You know, and then it, it, it casts shadows accordingly. Um, what you can do, what happens with a piece of diffusion is, let's say we put a piece of diffusion out, you know, uh, say a, a foot in front of that light. Um, at that point, then the beam of light is a little bit bigger, and what, what happens is the diffusion is then going to disperse it, and let's say it was a, you know, an 18-inch by 18-inch piece of diffusion that we put in front. Um, you know, if we position it just properly we can turn that 6-inch beam of light into an 18-inch by 18-inch beam of light. You know, we basically made the beam that much bigger at that point, and then it's dispersing accordingly. So we've just made that beam of light even bigger. Now it's a little bit dimmer because we've, we've uh, you know, A, the filter is absorbing a little bit of that light, but B, it's also dispersing it into a bigger area. So there isn't as much light to be hitting the the center of the source. So you have to. That's why you have to recalculate at that point. It's. It almost sounds like you're describing an alternative to, say, a softbox. Could Could you say that? If you look at what a softbox is, a softbox is a, you know, it's a a, it's a black material with some reflectors on the inside and a piece of diffusion at the front. Right. Um, 
And so in essence, what I'm giving you the ability to do is make your own softbox. You know, you don't necessarily need the black fabric with the reflector on the inside to do it. You just need really the magic of the softbox is the diffusion out at the edge. And uh, with the, the Cinegel line and the diffusions that are carried in it, you can actually make your own softbox and have control over how much diffusion, uh, you know, how much you diffuse that light. Outstanding. That would work great with some of the uh, articles that we just put in the uh, last show. Yeah, we've got a lot of do-it-yourselfers and people who are willing to, you know, be creative. So this sounds like a, a great product line for people like that. Right. Well, and and the other thing is it's for the, the budget conscience, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. A 20-inch by 24-inch piece of gel, list price on that is $6.95. Oh, wow. Um, and I am i don't know of any soft boxes that you can buy for that kind of money. So <laughs> That's a great point. That's a really great point. And it sounds like it's a lot more specialized than going to the fabric store and buying ripstop nylon for your do-it-yourself softbox, too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it, there's a little bit more science to, that goes into it than just that, yeah. That's great. <laughs> now, there's one other product that we, we have to talk about since we're talking to uh, to a Roscoe rep, Joel, and that's uh, everybody's favorite uh, in a pinch, which is Cinefoil. Cinefoil, absolutely. What can you tell us about Cinefoil? What what are some creative stories you've heard about how that can be used in a studio? (laughs) Uh, Well, Cinefoil, uh, just for those people who don't know, it's it's aluminum foil uh, with a a black coating on it. Um, And what it uh, allows you to do is, you know... uh, in you know out here in the movie world uh, every one of these tungsten lights has what are called barn doors and they're really nice because they're exactly what they they're doors on the outside of the light that you know and there are four of them and if you fold all four in you can basically close off the face of the light uh but if you don't if you only fold in one you know you can kind of take some of the light away from say the right edge of the light or the left edge of the light or you know it gives you the ability to shape the beam of light um now, not everybody, not every light source has these barn doors, and sometimes you still want to be able to take, you know, you're, you're having problems with light spill, and you want to be able to get rid of this light that, you know, is hitting the floor. Uh, however, you can't angle the light up anymore because then it's causing other problems. Right. What you really want to be able to do is to take a piece of, say, cinefoil, put it on the bottom edge of the light, and get rid of that light spill issue. Um, that's really what it was created for, and that's what it does best. Um, it's also good for, say, windows that you want to, you know, you want to black out. You know, you don't have, uh, you know, have room to carry around a, say, a, a, a you know, a four foot by eight foot long curtain with you everywhere you go <laughs> to black out a window that's giving you problems. You know, if you carry around some cinefoil, you can just tack it up with some gaffer's tape and completely opaque out windows or, you know, any other light sources that might be giving you problems. Uh, the other thing that we've just done with Cinefoil, uh, again, for some of your listeners who might be a little bit more budget conscious, is we've created a, a new product called Photofoil. Same exact material, just packaged different. Um, Cinefoil is packaged uh, in 12-inch by 50-foot rolls, 24-inch by 25-foot rolls, or if you're really in love with the product, 48 inches by 25-foot rolls. Okay. Um, Photofoil is uh, 12-inch or 24-inch uh, in 10-foot cuts. So it's just uh, you know 10 feet of some foil 
comes in a little pack, uh, makes it much handier to, uh, you know, to carry it around. Because oftentimes I find in the still photo world or, you know, the videographer world, uh, the big 50 foot or 25 foot rolls, I mean, it's almost a lifetime supply. <laughs> They'll lose it before they use all of it. So, uh, that's why we, we went with a photo foil product to give them, uh, you know, really more, fo- you know, the, the right amount of foil that you need. So. That's a great suggestion. That's a really cool product idea. So you were talking about some of your uh, listeners who were real do-it-yourselfers um, whenever we were talking about the diffusions. Uh, those same people might be interested in some of our reflection materials. Uh, the same way you would use our diffusion materials to make your own soft boxes, uh, we make a whole series of reflecting, reflection materials and bounce materials to do your, you know, instead of the, the flex fills and, you know, those things are wonderful and they're nice, uh, but again, you know, they're they're kind of specific and and uh, to some degree relatively expensive. So uh, we actually make the raw materials that they use to make those sort of things. And okay. again, you can go <laughs> and buy it in sheets or rolls and make your own. Wow. Um, we have, uh, you know, everything from real harsh mirror-like reflectors to the pebbled after reflectors. My personal favorite is a, a material called spun silver. And what we've done there is we've taken our diffusion, the tough spun diffusion uh, that I was talking about before, and added a metallized coating to the other side. Okay. And what that gives you is one face of it is a wonderful bounce, a wonderful white bounce sort of material. It's nice, soft, and really gives a nice kick. Uh, but then on the other side is a really soft silver reflector. So just by buying one material, you're getting two bounces. Um the other material that we make is uh, a material that we call Cinebounce, and it's black on one side, white on the other, and, you know, uh, out here, you know, a lot of times you can use uh, what's called show card. It's basically foam core to bounce, you know, as a bounce surface. Uh, this material, the white edge, it gives you a similar bounce to show card, but instead of it being a fragile piece of syrup, it's a nice, flexible, easy-to-tuck-away piece of fabric that you use the white side to bounce, but you can also use the black side kind of like you would use the uh, the cinefoil in as a, a way to remove light. It's it's a really opaque fabric, so you can actually use the black edge of it to remove uh, some of the light as a, a negative fill, if you will. So nice, terrific. Uh, good, uh, you know, just good, useful materials to have around. Absolutely. I can see it now. We're going to have sewing tutorials on the site now to make your own reflectors. <laughs> well, and so sewing with tutorials is, uh, you know, some of the diffusions that you know, I was talking about, the grid cloths, um, you can actually sew them together into really big diffusions. So if you're doing a shot outside and you want to diffuse the sun, uh, on the shelf I have got grid cloths sewn together already in 6 foot by 6 foot, 8 foot by 8 foot, 12 foot by 12 wow. foot, and 20 foot by 20 foot flies are what we call them. That is cool. Uh, the other material that we've got as a diffuser, and it's actually my favorite diffusion, especially for diffusing the sun, is a material called Highlight. Uh, it's a, a vinyl material uh, that, you know, out here in Hollywood, they call it shower, they call it shower curtain. Uh, <laughs> right. and that's because it, it's vinyl. It feels like your shower curtain. But uh, the texture of this vinyl gives such a wonderful diffusion. 
uh, but you can't really sew this material together. We we actually ultrasonically weld it together, wow. um, and it's available in the same six by six, eight by eight, twelve by twelve, or twenty by twenty sizes. I've gotten a couple of emails from folks who are saying, in my small home studio with my you know big my big strobe light, I no matter what I do, I turn my strobe all the way down, and I still have way too much light. Uh, we make a series of filters called neutral densities. Uh, same idea as the neutral density lenses that you would buy for your camera, okay. but instead of you know knocking down the overall light level of everything that's going into the camera, you can get these neutral density lighting filters to put upon your light that will just knock down the overall light amount of light coming in through the light. Um, wow. Doesn't have any effect on the color. Uh, just base think of it as a grayscale. We have different levels of gray to knock down the light either by a half stop, one stop, two stop, three stop. You know, Joel, you've straightened out a whole lot of questions that even I had in my mind about filters, and I think this has been a great, a great uh, chat we've had. Really appreciate you taking time to talk with us. My pleasure. That's all we have for this episode of Light Source, the brightest podcast on the internet. Be sure to check out the show notes at studiolighting.net for links to the things that we talked about on today's show. And there you'll also find links to our photography and kind of keep up on some of the stuff that we've been shooting. And don't forget you can send us questions or feedback about the show to studiolighting at gmail.com. And we'll either try to answer those questions on the show or on the forum in the lighting's question section. Or you can get feedback on your photos at our new Flickr group at www.flickr.com slash groups slash lightsource. Until next time, take care.